0: Do me a favor, track down a Bible if you can, <clears throat> get with me to Matthew chapter 20 and the Bibles we have here, that's page 801, 801, and uh, we're going to look at another parable, another story that the Lord himself gave to reveal the kingdom of God. And over and over, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at these different episodes and teachings and, and ideas about where Jesus is showing us the kingdom of God is different. It's different than we would expect Uh, Sometimes this is exactly opposite from what we would expect, but we're being told and reminded over and over again that the way of the kingdom, though it is different, it is phenomenal. Though it is not what we would expect, it's far better. And so Jesus is teaching us again on this upside-down kingdom. So I want to pray, and then we're going to get to work. Let's pray. God, we ask for your help right now. We pray that you would speak to each of our hearts through your word, by your spirit, We pray, God, that we would have a better awareness of your kingdom and the priorities of it. We pray, God, that you would use this time to examine our hearts and reveal envy and bitterness and self-righteousness, God. Um, Help us instead to humble ourselves under your gracious hand and find all that we need in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. So let me just point out, if you're looking at Matthew chapter 20, I want to point out the context. I think that there are some some themes that are kind of running throughout this teaching, and that'll help us then to understand what Jesus is trying to do here. If you recall, just two chapters earlier, the disciples came to the Lord and they said, "'Who's the greatest in the kingdom?' And he then brings a kid into their midst and he begins to explain the kingdom of heaven is for these individuals, that, that people who humble themselves, the little ones, as he begins to describe this humble way of life, this submission to the way of God. And then in the previous chapter, chapter 19, a couple different things happen. First, Families bring their kids to Jesus, and he, the, the disciples are rebuking them. Okay, he's busy, he's busy. Uh, he doesn't have time for these little ones. And Jesus again reminds them, this is what the kingdom of heaven is about. And he's reminding them that the kingdom of heaven is about those who are humble. And then a rich young man comes to Jesus and begins to ask, hey, how do I experience salvation? What's the, the way of salvation? And Jesus begins to help this guy r- understand his own heart and and he, he points out to him that he is unwilling to part ways with all that he has accomplished in life, all that he has accumulated in life, and this man goes away from the Lord himself and from this invitation into the kingdom. And we're then seeing this theme. Jesus is showing us that greatness in the kingdom, the way of the kingdom, is one of humility, That if we want to understand the king and what he's up to and how to participate in this kingdom, it has something to do with humility. It doesn't have to do so much with our performance or with our greatness as we understand it. It has more to do with humbling ourselves and receiving from God what he is doing for us. And so now he tells a parable. And I believe that this parable relates to all these other things that we've just talked about. So let's start in verse 1. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now he's again explaining, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. There's a landowner, and he goes into the marketplace, and he's looking for people to co-opt into this work, to bring on board, to send into his vineyard to do something for him, so this kingdom, I believe, is talking about God. The landowner is God who is now going into the marketplace and finding individuals and bringing them into the significant work of the kingdom. But look at what happens in verse two. He agrees to pay them a certain amount. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. He draws up a contract with them. He says, look, you guys are looking for work. I'm looking for workers. Here's the arrangement. I will give you a denarius, a handsome reward for your, for your efforts. And he's then telling them that they could be a part of this work, and they're going to um, relate to each other according to this agreement. It's, a, it's actually a pretty good agreement, uh, pretty good compensation according to, according to the commentators who understand the pay scale back then. He's saying, you could do this work and you will receive this rich, rich reward. Now, that, that concept, I was thinking about it this week, and I was reminded of growing up on the tree farm, and uh, every summer we trim trees. It's like you, you know, most of you have hedges and bushes and stuff. You go out and you trim them. Well, every year, Christmas trees need to be trimmed. And so we go out with these big machetes, and a team of individuals on, during the morning time will go out and trim the trees. And then once a year, Aunt Laura's here. She heads up that that team at the tree farm. But once a year, we would get this phone call, and another farm would ask us to send a team, and we would do their entire farm in one day. It was a smaller operation, and so they'd say, here's the deal, we will give you this amount of money, and it's a significant workload, but if you've got the team for it, you can travel to this farm, you can do the work, and at the end of the day, you'll get your check. And I loved doing that. It's called Partyville. We would go to Partyville, and we would trim all these different trees. We would wake up before the sun came out. We would get in a car. We'd cruise there, and we'd trim trees all day. And it was very, very hard work. But here's what I loved. I knew that as a young man, that at the end of the day, I'm going to get a handsome paycheck for that. That there's a significant amount of money that I will work very hard To accomplish this task. But at the end of the day, I'm getting a a good paycheck. And that was a big deal for me. And it was motivating. And it was exciting. And so I got to imagine that as these individuals are brought into the vineyard, that as God, the landowner says, hey, I want you to come and work my vineyard. I'm sure when they hear the arrangement, there's an excitement about that. I'm looking for work. I found somebody to employ me. And this person is willing to pay me a pretty significant amount of money. And so I would imagine these people are pretty happy. They're pretty thrilled about this arrangement. I would imagine that as they're doing the work, there's something about it that's intrinsically good. You know, they're, they're doing their thing, and they're probably thinking, man, this is a great arrangement. But the story goes on, and what we find out is that the landowner isn't pleased to simply allow this initial crew to be a part of the work. The landowner keeps going back to the marketplace. Look with me at verses 3 and following. About 9 in the morning... He went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever's right. So they went. He went out again at about noon and about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. This landowner keeps going to the marketplace, finding people who have yet to secure employment for the day, and when he sees them standing there, he goes, you also can come to my vineyard and be a part of this work. So what, what, what is going on here? You, when you read the whole parable, you, you get the sense that he's not struggling to get the work done, right? There's no indication, no whiff of him going, ooh, this is such a big task, I need more and more people. Instead, what you get the feel is he wants other people to be a part of this significant work. That he's taken personal responsibility to go out and find other people who have yet to find something to do that day. And he says, you too can come. I'll pay you whatever you think is fair. And he just, that's his heartbeat. That's, he keeps going and including the down and out. He keeps including people who are maybe sitting there going, well, we're going to have to go hungry again. But he keeps going out and finding them and saying, no, you too can come and work in my vineyard. Nine o'clock he goes out. He gets another batch of people. Noon, he gets another batch of people. Three o'clock, another group of people. He keeps doing this recruitment. And then, look what happens in verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I just skipped over a huge section. Verses 6 and 7. It says, about five in the afternoon, he went out and he found still others standing around. And he said... He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they they answered. He said to them, you also go out and work in my vineyard. Okay, 5 o'clock, their work day is a little different than ours. 6 o'clock, they'd get going. 6 p.m., they'd be wrapping things up. So at 5 o'clock, he goes back to the marketplace, and he still finds people who haven't been working that day. And he says, okay, great, you guys are with me. He brings them back to the field. Can you imagine? I mean, when when the workday is wrapping up, what are you doing? You're putting stuff away, right? You're thinking, we're almost done. Let's hustle through this, get everything wrapped up so that we can be done for the day. But instead, we find this landowner bringing new people into the mix, new people into the mix. That's really incredible, but it just shows us that God is obviously all about inclusion, that he is bringing people into what he is up to and so then in verse 8, what do we find happening? They, they begin to kind of dole out these payments. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and then going on to the first. He says, okay, we're, we're going to pay everyone out now, and here's how it's going to work. We're going to start with the ones who were hired last, and then we're going to work our way back to those who started in the wee hours of the morning. And we're going to do it that way. He's setting up this important statement we'll find in verse 16. So, verse 9, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and they each received a denarius. So, everyone else is probably thinking, are you kidding me? This guy has money to blow. There's there's people who have worked one hour, and they're now getting that full day's wage. So they're probably thinking, Ooh, I can't wait to see what my check looks like. I can't wait to see how he compensates us. So when those who were hired first came, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. Okay, all of a sudden, we're, this is upside down kingdom stuff, right? This is not what you would expect. We always expect that we're going to be rewarded and compensated according to our performance. We think that doesn't even sound fair. It doesn't sound right. There needs to be a correlation between what I've done and what I'm receiving. And so the workers are going, I've done far more than them. I've been here all day. This is not fair. In fact, you, begin, you hear them begin to complain about it, verses 11 and following. When they received it, their denarius, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the work. And the heat of the day. This is not okay. I learned this principle. I, I worked briefly at JMK Nippon. I was a server there. My buddy had a job there. He got me a job there. And what we would do at JMK is we'd be serving the tables and then at the end of the night, we'd all take our tips and we'd go into the back room and we'd count them out, count out our tips and then we'd pool it all together. We'd pay out bar staff and cook staff and hosting staff and we'd do all of that and then everyone got their, their, you know, equal pay for the tips that day. And I kind of liked it because it was, it was consistent, you know, you could go in and have a very slow night and you'd still make good money, you could go in and have a slam night, you'd, you'd always be making good money. And the, the system was okay for a while until we hired new people. And when we hired new people, they weren't good at serving. And there was one guy who was not only not good at serving, he was actually really bad at it. He couldn't keep up with the pace. He couldn't, you know, he couldn't get the food in front of the people you know, at a reasonable time. He couldn't keep their drinks full. He, he didn't have a personality to kind of eclipse all of that. It was just bad. And one table got so upset with him that when they left their tip, they just pulled out a few pennies and just put it down. And it was like, this is what we think of the service we've received. Okay? So then we're in the back room, We're counting out our money, tips for the night. And this dude brings in his pennies. And I begin to think to myself, I don't like this system anymore. This isn't fair. That I'm going to walk out with the same amount as him, and he's obviously not pulling his own. That's exactly what's happening here, isn't it? That they look at this and they go, come on, man, this isn't fair. You're going to give, you're going to give these people who just showed up, they skated in in that final hour, they didn't really even do anything except help us put stuff away, and they're going to get the same amount as me? No way. That's not fair. That's not fair. I can't believe that you're going to do this. I deserve more. I worked harder through the heat of the day. I carried the burden of the effort, and yet you doled out the payments exactly the same for every single person. Here's here's what's happening. They believe that how this landowner is compensating them doesn't work. It's not okay. So look at what happens next. Verse 13. The landowner answered one of them, "'Am I not being unfair to you, friend?' Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Here's what he's saying. In the economy of the kingdom, it's going to look and feel a little bit different. And he's saying this whole arrangement was fair from the get-go. When I met you in the marketplace and I said, would you come on my team and this is what it would look like and here's how you would be rewarded for that work. Wasn't that enough for you in that moment? that you were happy enough to say, I'm on board? Wasn't that our arrangement, our initial arrangement, was one that you, you should have felt excited about the prospect of working that day and getting compensated for it? And he's saying, I'm good to my word. I gave you what was just and agreed upon. And then he says, verse 15, don't I have the right to do with what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? He's pointing out that these early workers, the one who came first, the one who showed up at 6 a.m. and worked throughout the course of the day, he's saying, here's the problem that you have with me. Not that I didn't give you what we agreed upon, but that I was willing to give that also to someone else. In other words, your heart is being revealed that you are envious of the grace of God. That you don't appreciate the generosity of this master to do with what he wants with his money. You are presuming upon the grace of God. That's what we do. If we've been a Christian for any amount of time, we start looking at our track record, and we start thinking, look at all that I've done. Look at all that I've accomplished. Look at the ways that I'm sacrificing and serving and doing significant things. And and then we begin to look at other people. And, And if God is being kind and generous to them, and they haven't worked like we've worked, we resent them. We resent them. And we then resent the Master himself. We think that we're asking for fairness, but really it's not fair. The whole whole system is one of generosity. That God invites anybody to be a part of his vineyard is one of generosity and kindness. And when we start saying, I want this to be fair, we are misunderstanding fairness. One of the professors at my school, he put it like this. Don Carson said, do you really want nothing but totally effective instantaneous justice. And he says something very, very harsh, but he's trying to make a point here. If you want it to be fair, he says, then you could go to hell. And he's saying that because he's pointing out the way that God relates to us is not by giving us what we deserve. The way that he relates to us is by giving us in grace what we don't deserve and what we cannot earn. Jesus Christ was willing to pay for our sins and the wages of sin is death and separation from God. And God says, in grace and mercy, I will receive people in, because of their faith in Christ, I will receive them as family. So we don't want fairness. I remember a, a professor, and uh, he, at the beginning of the semester, he told everyone, here are your three papers. He said, they are due on these specific dates, and there are no exceptions. You turn that paper in, or you receive a failing grade for that paper. So that's the deal. And he told everyone it was a large freshman class, so there were hundreds of students, and he just said, here's the deal, you'll be okay in this class if you do your work, but you must turn your stuff in on time. So the first paper comes due, and a couple people didn't get it done. And they're freaking out, they're so nervous, they're like, oh man, I can't afford to fail this class. And so they come to the professor and they say, please, 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 would would you just give me a small extension? And he looks at them and he goes, okay, you've got an extra day. They're like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And they go off and they get their work done. And it was just like, you know, a couple of them. The second paper comes due. And this time, like 15 of them didn't get their paper done. And they're still nervous about it. They know, okay, he told us the expectations on the front end. They're like, uh, so they come in, they're like, I'm so, so sorry. Uh, I didn't get this paper done. Is there any possible way that we could get an extension? And he goes, Okay. Okay, I'll give you an extension. You have another day, and you can get your work done and turn it in, please. And then the third one comes due. And this time, people come strolling in, and he's like, okay, guys, you need to turn your papers in. He goes, Miller, uh, where's your paper? And Miller, like, kicks his feet up, and he's like, I'll get it to you tomorrow, prof. And he's like, that is not the arrangement. That is not the arrangement. And he said, here's what's fair. I'm going to give you a failing grade. And the guy's like, no, 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 no. You, all, you give me extensions. You've given me extensions every single time. And he's like, yeah, that's right. So fair is me going back and giving you that failing grade for each of those assignments. He said, you don't want fairness. You want mercy. When we look at God and we say, this isn't fair. How can you love that person? They're not lovely. How can you treat them with mercy and grace? They don't, they don't do anything that commends themselves to you, God. God's saying, you don't want what's fair. You want what's merciful. And all of us then ought to be like the worker who says, if God has brought me into the kingdom, if he's enlisted me to be a part of the work of what he's doing, all of that is a mercy and a grace. All of that is an undeserved kindness. Verse 16, he says, here's how it works then, so the last will be first and the first will be last. And here's what I'm coming to learn. Years and years of being a Christian, here's one of the insights that I have a lot of people who experience the greatness of God and they worship Him and they appreciate Him and they recognize the the joy that they have because of their relationship with Him, they are last. They scoot in and they go, I I shouldn't be here. I should not be here, but God loves me. And here's the opposite of that, though. A lot of people who've been Christians for a long time, we start adopting this performance mentality. We start thinking we have earned our keep. We have done what was necessary, and we begin to look down on other people. So the the last will be first, and the first will be last. Three lessons that we can apply from this parable. Um, There are three takeaways, I think, that are really, really important for us, for me, for our church. The first has to do with God's mission. This parable reminds us that God involves the unlikely in his work. It's his heartbeat. He keeps going to the marketplace. He keeps finding people. Even in that final hour, he's still bringing people in. God desires to enlist more and more people into his kingdom work. He he wants to involve the excluded. He wants to enlist people who really, they're not going to make a strong contribution, but out of love and out of mercy, he says, you can come in too. That's the heartbeat of God. And it is not because... He's desperate to get the work done. The text doesn't say that, and I don't think the rest of the Bible does either. I think God keeps reminding us the work is something he, he allows us to be a part of, but he doesn't need us for it. Psalm 50, he's talking to God speaking, and he's, he's uh, addressing the people of God and all the work that they're doing and all the sacrifices that they're making. And in Psalm 50, verses 9 and following, it says, I have no need of a bull from your stall, Or goats from your pens? For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all that is in it. And God is just reminding us the work that is to be done in the kingdom is something that He allows for us to be a part of, but He's not wringing His hands, going, I don't know how we're ever gonna get this done. He allows for us to be a part of it. I'm reminded of a a pastor tweeted this thing out a little while back and he said, he tweeted, this is the courts of heaven when any of us are doing that really important ministry thing. And it's a little video and it's at a soccer match and someone's got their cell phone and they're videoing the field and it must be a timeout or something. Both teams are kind of huddled up and there's a toddler out on the field with the ball. And the toddler's, like, kicking the ball, and then he falls on it, and he gets back up, and he kicks it. And you can see kind of in the field of vision the whole the crowd. And he's starting to make his way toward the goalpost. And you hear people start to clap. And this little toddler's, like, kicking the ball and just kind of oblivious to everything else. And he's getting closer and closer to the goal line, and he's just kicking the ball. And now the crowd, you can see them. There's this anticipation. And then the, the toddler just goes... And the whole crowd erupts. The whole crowd just goes, whoa. Like, yeah. They're all cheering. They're all freaking out. And the kid looks up, and he's startled. He's like, whoa. And then he goes, yeah, turns around. That's us, right? That when we're doing this stuff, and we feel like, oh, it's so important. This is so significant. And all, we realize, man, God is allowing us to be a part of this thing. And none of us are really none of us are, are good enough to be a part of it. None of us are really exceptional enough that God is going, you have to be on my team. But God is saying, I love you and you can serve and you can be a part of this and it will be significant, but it is a mercy and a grace. And God keeps saying, I'm going to get more and more people like that on my team. I'm going to keep bringing people on board and, and it's going it's to surprise some people those who get brought in in the final hour and those who don't have the requirements that we think they should have. But God, it's his heart. He involves the unlikely in his work. He involved me. He involves us. He allows us to be a part of this significant work. Here's the second takeaway from this parable this morning, and it has to do with pride. And here's what we learned from the story. The grace of God has a way of exposing our self-righteousness. The grace of God has a way of revealing the envy of our hearts and our own pride and self-righteousness. So in verse 15, when the landowner begins to deal with those early employees, he says, are you envious? Because I'm generous. And that's a question we all have to wrestle with. If God were to give other undeserving people what he's given you, would you be upset? If you were to look at people and you go, they don't make the cut, They're, they're not... Pulling their weight, they're not doing the work. If you look at that and you go, That's not okay with me, then you're revealing the pride of your heart and that you are relying on your own self righteousness. That you think that you're okay with God because of what you do. And so pride then is on display here, and we have to examine our hearts. And I'm reminded of that story, another parable of the prodigal son. Many of you would be familiar with it. There's a man who has two sons, and the one, the younger son, he asks for half of the estate, half of the inheritance, cashes it in, and then he goes off and he loses it. He squanders it on wild living, prostitutes wild living, and then he comes to that point where he's like, I need to go home, and I need to, I need to ask for mercy and just see if I can come back and be a hired hand for my, for my father. And he comes back, and the father sees him, and he runs to him, and he throws his arms around him. And then he tells the servants, Go kill the fattened calf. Place my robe on his back, my finger, my, my ring on his finger, we're gonna have a party. And then everyone's celebrating, and everyone's just going wild, like, this is incredible. This son has come home. And the older brother comes comes near to that party and he goes, What is happening here? And the older brother he calls a servant, and he says, What's going on in there? And the servant says, your, your younger brother came home. Your father killed the fattened calf. There's a party right now, we're celebrating. And he's so upset, and the father has to come out and entreats him to come into the party, and, and he's just angry. And he's like, that son of yours, he's, not, he's like, this isn't even my brother, that son of yours took half of the possessions and went and squandered it, and now he just wanders home and you receive him gladly? I've been here the whole time. I've been working the whole time. You've never even given me a small goat to celebrate with my friends. That's the posture of pride. That's what a lot of us Christians do. We start looking at how God is generous to the undeserving and we hate it. We go, how would you ever, how can God love somebody like that? That's not okay by me. I'm here doing my work. I'm I'm doing what you want me to do and, and we're not celebrating me. And then the father says something very telling. He says, this whole time I've been with you and everything that I have is yours. Here's what he's saying. You are misunderstanding the significance of this relationship. This is what it's all about. If you have me, you have everything. A lot of us Christians, when we are faced with the grace of God, do you know what comes out of our hearts? Pride. Because we have done certain things that we just start to believe, we lie to ourselves, and we say, This is really why I'm okay with God. Because I serve hard because I give money, because I do these different things. And God wants to remind us over and over again, the relationship that we have with him is grace. That he receives us freely by the finished work of Jesus Christ, not because of the things we do, not because of the potential that we have, but because of his love for us. Third lesson that we learn from this parable is how acceptance in the kingdom works. That God involves people not based off of performance or potential, but he receives them based off of his grace and his generosity. That he brings people into his team that you would think they don't deserve to be there, and he does it by setting the bar that low. You want to be a part of this thing? Scoot in in the final hour. Here's all you need to do. Trust in Jesus Christ. And we can get we can get uptight about that and go, ooh, I don't know if that's how we should tell people that they could be a part of this. We, we should tell them, yes, you trust in Christ, but then you got to begin to show it. You know, show all these different expressions of obedience and show that you're being changed. And, and it reminds me of a critique that somebody had for John Bunyan. John Bunyan was a pastor and he wrote a famous book called The Pilgrim's Progress. And he was a pastor and he was in prison for his faith and his commitment to the gospel. And somebody said to him, they were noticing that he preached grace. He preached that God will receive people based off of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so people said, Bunyan, if you keep preaching like that, if you keep preaching that God accepts people based off of sheer grace alone, your hearers are going to feel at liberty to do whatever they want to do. They'll never change. You're giving them permission to receive God's grace and then just continue to live however they want to live. That's not okay. If you do this, they're just going to do whatever they want to do. And Bunyan said, no. No, they will not. If I keep preaching that people are received by God based sheerly off of his grace, that he's accepting of the unacceptable with no conditions, they will not do whatever they want to do. They'll do whatever he wants them to do. That's how grace works. It is so powerful that if God looks at us and he receives us, in our brokenness, and in the final hour, we're going, man, I shouldn't be on this team. God, that grace will change us. It'll motivate us. We'll want to live faithfully for God. So we as a church then, here's what I, here's what I would love to see. I would love for us to, to be the kind of place where we have this vineyard culture, where people come in and they feel that they can be received by God right where they are. They don't have to get their life pieced back together. They can just be received by God and his grace will transform them. We can be a place that's safe, that people can come in and they can experience that God loves them. And, and this will challenge a lot of us, especially those of us that have been a part of this launch from the very beginning. And we can be thinking, where were you guys two years ago? You know, we were, we were working real hard to get this thing going and all of a sudden you guys just scoot in and get all the glory. Where were you guys a while back? And we can be thinking, I've been working so hard on this thing. We need to create a culture where we celebrate the low performers, and the final additions. You know, the people who come in and we just say, look, we're always going to be a welcoming place where people can come in because the kingdom of God is a broad kingdom that accepts a lot of different people right where they're at, and they're being changed by the glory of God. So I'm going to go ahead and ask that the band would come, and we're going to worship once more. And We'll do a song, and and I I noticed uh, the lyrics in it. And one of the things that happens in that song is that the elders lay their crowns before the throne of God's grace. And I just want that to be a vivid picture in your mind that even the most significant things that we will ever do, the crowns that we receive for the good works that we've done, it's it's all about him. If you've been a Christian for any length of time and you feel like man, you're trying to serve God and love God and it, it, you just lay that at his feet and you just go, "Look, if if we can be a part of this, that's enough." If God loves me, that's enough. I lay my crown at his feet for his glory. So would you stand with us, please, if you're able, and I will pray and we will sing. God, your kingdom is upside down. It is so different from the way the world works that you accept people, that you bring people in, that you include people because of your generosity. Help us to, all of us in here, to sincerely believe that this morning, that we can be right with you because of your mercy and your grace. And help us then to be the church, the kind of church where that feels normal here, that people come in and they feel loved and accepted and safe. Help us, please. Amen.